application all year long. So, so thank you. In uh, 597 BC, 597 BC, Jerusalem was defeated by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And all of the, the notable Jews in Jerusalem were carried into exile into Babylon. And so there they were in Babylon, strangers living in a strange land. A surprising thing in the scripture is that God actually told them to, to kind of settle down there in Babylon. Uh, he said, build houses and get married and plant gardens and conduct your business. And then he also said this, seek the peace and the prosperity of the land that I've carried you to. Isn't that amazing? They are, they're captives in this land of captivity. And what does God say to them? He says, seek the peace and prosperity of your captors of the land of captivity. So in some ways, they're called to assimilate. In other ways, God said, don't assimilate. Like the, the people in Babylon, they worship different gods from you. Don't fall into to worshiping their gods. Stay true and faithful to the one true God. And they have different practices and different customs. Stay faithful to the word of God, to the law of God. So in some ways, assimilate seek the peace and prosperity of the land. In other ways, stay faithful and be careful not to assimilate. So it is so interesting when we turn to the New Testament and in so many different letters, the exact same language is used of us, the church. We are strangers in a strange land. The scripture refers to us as aliens, as foreigners, as exiles. So we are like the Jews who found themselves living in Babylon. So what does that mean for us? It means we were created for another world, but we live in this one. It means we were created for, for paradise. We were created for for Eden, we are created for the promised land, but we find ourselves living in a land that's polluted and poisoned by sin. We were created for another kingdom, a kingdom under the rule and reign of, of the Lord God Almighty, and yet we find ourselves living in a world that is under the influence of the prince of darkness. We're created for another world, but we live in this one. When Jesus Christ came to the earth, one of his very first messages was that the kingdom of God is come near. There is now this, this collision, there is this overlap. Those two kingdoms are, are overlapping one another and they are in opposition to one another. And every single day that we're living in Babylon, we get to decide to which kingdom am I gonna pledge my allegiance? Am I gonna live in Babylon, according to the Babylonians, or am I going to live according to the rule and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ? So our marching orders today are really no different than the ones that were given to Babylon. Yes, build your houses, plant your gardens, marry, conduct your business, even seek the peace and the prosperity of the land in which you live. But don't assimilate too far. 
Because remember, you are not citizens of this kingdom. We are citizens of another kingdom. We do the most good for the kingdom of earth when we live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We do the most good for this world when we are mindful that I'm not of this world. I, I live according to the, the kingdom of heaven and the ways of the kingdom of heaven. So we're in a series titled The Cost of Discipleship, and we've been working our way through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And, and it, remember the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was surrounded by a great crowd of people, and he withdrew from them with just his small band of disciples. And he began to teach his disciples what life looked like when they followed him as Lord. This is what's to differentiate you from the crowd. And so it's not surprising that Jesus is saying some difficult things. When we look at what Jesus is saying from the lens of the world, it's, it's strange. But remember, we are strangers living in a strange land. And so it makes sense that Jesus would say some things that don't really align with the, the viewpoints of this world. That is certainly true in our passage today. The things that I'm going to say today, the world absolutely balks at. And truthfully, there's something in me that hears this and says, come on, Jesus. Like, you can't be serious. And so we need to pray. We need to pray for wisdom. We need to pray for courage. We need to pray for discernment. Join me as we pray. Lord, we do ask for, for wisdom. We ask for your wisdom, not the wisdom of this world, but your wisdom, that we might know your ways. And then we ask for courage, that, that we might do more than just know your ways, that we might actually walk in your ways. We pray that you would grant us your spirit in large measure, your spirit through whom all things are possible. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have a Bible, we're reading from chapter 5 of Matthew, looking at verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So as we hear that, if your first instinct is to try and find some kind of logical way to explain away what Jesus is saying... To, to reason how it's impractical to disembowel it of any real application, any real guts, that impulse that you're feeling, that instinct that you're feeling, is a sign that you are coming to this passage through the lens of the world. 
not through the lens of the, the kingdom of heaven. It's a sign that, that we have forgotten that we are strangers living in a strange land, that we are not called to live according to the ways of this world. We're Christian. We're called to live according to a different kingdom. So an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. In order to have a, a civil society, there must be laws, obviously, that if broken, carry consequences. But how do you determine what are the appropriate consequences? So that's what an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth was, was, was meant by God was this is how you determine what an appropriate level of consequences are. Should stealing a loaf of bread result in five years of uh, forced labor and imprisonment? That seems a bit excessive. On the other hand, should killing somebody result in probation and a slap on the wrist? Seems a bit insufficient. And so God gave the law to Moses, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, as a principle to help them understand what should the consequences be. And the, the spirit behind the law was actually not vengeance, like how much can we get away with in punishment. The spirit behind the law was restraint. Like don't get carried away in your punishment. Make sure that the, the punish, punishment is commensurate, commensurate with the crime. So on paper, that makes sense, but when you begin to try and apply it to real life, things get murky really quickly. Take, for example, 1,400 Israelites who are, are ambushed and killed, premeditated, brutally killed. What is a commensurate response to that? If you're going by the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, what is the appropriate level of response? That's a tough question. But I know as I watch the, the TV every morning and see another child pulled from the rubble, that question becomes weightier and weightier. So on this particular day, when Jesus withdrew from the large crowd of people and he's looking his small group of disciples in the eye, he's not addressing them as leaders of a nation. He is not addressing them as leaders of a, a municipality who are tasked with enforcing law to, to maintain a just and civil society. He's addressing them as his disciples, as his followers. He's addressing them as citizens of another kingdom, of the kingdom of God. What he's saying to them transcends politics transcends national lines. He's not speaking to them as Jews. He's not speaking to us as Americans. Yes, countries, cities, even small towns like ours, we have to have laws. Nations have to punish wrongdoers. Governments must enforce the law. But that's not what Jesus is talking about on this day. This is not about national policy. This is about how you, as a follower of Jesus, are called to relate to your neighbor. This is about how, how his disciples were called to relate to that abusive Roman soldier. This is about how are you called to interact with that person that maybe you're at odds with. 
I think this is a, an important distinction for us to get. Jesus calling us to abandon the law of retribution, an eye for an eye, and to give up our rights altogether for revenge. This is not talking about a nation, because if we, we apply it to that, we're going to say it's totally impractical. This doesn't make sense, and we're just going to forget what Jesus is saying altogether. But he's speaking to you personally. You and I are strangers living in a strange land, and we're called to live differently from everybody else. So you've heard it said, Jesus began, that retribution should be restrained. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, here it comes, do not resist an evil person. Whew. I tell you, as strangers living in a strange land, citizens of another kingdom, give up your right for revenge. Give up your right for retribution altogether. So who wants to be the first person to say it? Jesus, what in the world? This is, this is insane. This makes absolutely no sense. Do not resist an evil person. Jesus, do you know what's going to happen to us? If we do what you're saying, if we don't fight back, if we don't resist an evil person, do you know what's going to happen if we lay down our weapons? Do you know what's going to happen if we choose to live at peace with a world that wants to go to war with us? If one of those disciples who heard that that day interrupted Jesus and objected in this manner, I think I have an idea of what Jesus might have answered. As a matter of fact, I do know what will happen. You might be nailed to a cross. I, I do know what happened. You're going to be insulted. You're going to be persecuted. People are going to say all kinds of evil things about you. And blessed are you when they do. Remember, he just said this. Blessed are you when you're persecuted because of righteousness for my name's sake. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. You belong to a different kingdom. Jesus is not asking us to embrace anything that he didn't embrace himself. Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he has not done. Clearly, he knows some things that, that we don't. Like maybe the fact that even though not returning evil for evil, not fighting back, not trading an eye for an eye, it seems passive and it seems weak. It's actually one of the most powerful, subversive, transformative, effectual things that we can do. Jesus knows this. The world wants to fight. God wants us to live at peace. The church needs to hear this. The world wants to fight. God's not calling us to play on the world's terms. The world wants to fight. God calls us to love. 
maybe that embarrasses you. Like you don't want to be part of the team that is called to lay down their weapons. You want to be part of the team that's called to go to war. I'm in the Lord's army. We teach our kids. The world wants to fight. God calls us to, to love. Are we called to be sissies? Are we called to be wimps? Well, according to Jesus, there is nothing that is wimpy about refusing to play according to the rules of this world. And we've got a num number of examples. The world wanted to fight with Martin Luther King Jr. Sick the dogs on him and on his followers. Turn on the fire hoses. Bomb their churches. Arrest them. And in his case, ultimately assassinate him. But Martin Luther King Jr. was a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and a student of the Sermon on the Mount. And he didn't just study it, he resolved to follow it. And so he didn't resist the evil of the world. He didn't fight back on the world's terms. He didn't strike back. He responded to evil with good. And in doing so, he changed the world the most powerful, subversive, transformative, effectual things that he could do, he did. The world wanted to fight Mahatma Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi got his legal degree in England, went to South Africa. He was the Rosa Parks of South Africa. He bought a first-class bus ticket was told to go back to the third class, back to the end of the bus, refused, was imprisoned, and he fought for justice in South Africa, fought nonviolently, civil disobedience. And later he came to his home country in India. Britain occupied India at the time, and he perceived that Britain is impoverishing the Indians, and so he led peaceful resistance movements. Britain gave India their, their independence. And then India split. The Muslims went to Pakistan. The Hindus stayed in India. And then the Muslim and Hindu began to war against one another, fellow Indians fighting against e each other. And again, he protested. He stopped eating. He said, I'm not going to eat again until the, the leaders of these two people come together and wage peace. And lo and behold, they came together to make peace. The world wanted to fight with Mahatma Gandhi. He didn't fight back according to their rules. He fought back subversively. He responded to evil with good. Now, he was a Hindu, but you know what else he was? A student of the Sermon on the Mount. He loved Jesus. He loved Jesus' teaching, and he put it into action. The world wanted to fight Jesus Christ. Jesus was falsely accused of leading a rebellion. He was struck, stripped, spit upon, humiliated. Crown of thorns pressed in on his head, impaled on a cross, hung to die in the most humiliating fashion. The world wanted to fight, but he didn't fight back. He didn't return evil with re evil. He returned evil with good. He prayed for the very people who had just nailed him to the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. 
And in doing so, he changed the world. So today we can hear this command and we can say that's crazy. And we can choose to disobey Jesus' teaching. We can play according to the rules of the world. We can fight back. We can play the game the way this present kingdom plays the game. But what we can't do is do that and then say, I'm a follower of Jesus. It does not align up. Pick a kingdom. You can't play both sides of the fence. Called to be in the world, but not of the world. So Jesus continues, and the teaching just keeps getting harder and harder. If anyone forces you to to go one mile, go with them two miles. He's not just saying that we should be generous people, that we should, should you know, go over the top in our generosity because the people we love typically don't force us to go one mile. They might ask us to go one mile, but they don't force it. If you're being forced to do something, it's probably by someone who's not acting in love. The Roman soldiers could force people into to anything they wanted them to. And we see this with Jesus. He's too weak to carry his own cross. And so the soldier sees Simon the Cyrene and says, you, pick up this cross and carry it. And he's got no choice. He's picking up that cross and carrying it. If someone is treating you unjustly, what Jesus is saying is go the extra mile on their behalf. Serve them. Love them. Return evil with good. I know as I say this, it's crazy talk, but we're called to be strangers in this world. And if what Jesus is saying doesn't align with the principles of this world, that's probably a good sign. If we as believers are living in a way that doesn't align with the ways of this world, that's probably a good sign. How about this command? Give to the one who asks you. There's no asterisk there, except for this situation and that situation. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. The world objects. The world says, mine. The world says, you're just going to be taken advantage of if you do what Jesus is saying. But Jesus objects to the world. Give to the one who asks you. I remember a conversation with H a number of years back. He was talking about the Fulton Food Pantry where they, they knew a certain percentage of people are just taking advantage of the system. But he said, if we stop because a few people are taking advantage of the system, we won't help anybody. Some of you re- may remember Trisha Taylor Uh, She led a a marriage conference for us a a number of years back. Uh, I remember one Lent, Trisha adopted as her, you know, the thing she was taking on for Lent. She decided to put this teaching from the Sermon on the Mount uh, into action so that if anyone asked her of anything during Lent, her response, if it was in her power to do so, would be to say yes. She resolved, I'm just going to say yes. During Lent, no matter what it is, if someone asks me, I- I'm going to say yes. And, and I contacted her this week to ask her, what were your takeaways? 
You know, you did that all throughout Lent. What were the things that you learned from that? And she responded with three different things. The first thing she said was that her reluctance to give was never about, like, I don't want to let go of this money or this time or, or whatever it was. It was more about what other people who were watching her would think. Mainly other believers. Like, they're going to judge me. They're going to say, like, you're just being taken advantage of which I find so interesting. Sometimes the resistance for us trying to live the life that Jesus has called us to live actually comes from those within our own camp. Those who want to say to us, come on, just live as the Babylonians. You don't need to be so radical. The second thing she said is that she became much more aware of how often she was asked to do things and to, to offer things. When you take away that reflexive response that we have, like, oh, you know, I'd love to, but I'm too busy. When you take that away and, and you say yes, you suddenly become aware of, of the real needs of people around you. She said, I became much more present with people. And then the third thing she talked about was the challenge of, of figuring out what was asked and what was helpful, because sometimes she knew that what they were asking for wasn't helpful that they were gonna take the money and go buy a, a bottle of liquor. And so she said, well, I gave, but I would take them to eat. You know, I'd give them something that I knew was helpful. And that third observation brings us to a good point. Obviously, we must be discerning. Jesus calls us to be discerning. Following the Sermon on the Mount in just a few chapters later in Matthew 10, Jesus said, I'm sending you out like sheep among the wolves. Be wise like serpents. Be as shrewd as snakes, but be as innocent as doves. So yes, we are called to be wise and be discerning. But I want to add to that, that make sure your wisdom and your discernment is being filtered through the filter of the kingdom of heaven and not the kingdom of this world. As we discern, we are to use the, the values of God and, and of his kingdom to guide us in our discernment, not what this world says. Because if we, we follow what this world says, we're never going to follow Jesus. So next week, we're going to move to, we're going to skip the next passage, but I just wanted to, to mention it this morning because it really follows in this, this, same, uh, this same path. Jesus looks at his disciples and he tells them, and he tells us, love your enemies. Love your enemies. If ever there was a call to live according to the kingdom of heaven, that is it. Because that makes absolutely no sense in, in this present kingdom. Love your enemies. So everything we've said this morning applies to that. It is utter foolishness in the eyes of the world that we would love our enemies but we are not citizens of this world. Again, Jesus never asks us to do something that he himself has not done. And if you step back and think about it, it is such good news that Jesus loves his enemies. Because Romans, the scripture in Romans chapter 5 says that's what we were. We were God's enemies. And yet, while we were enemies, he reconciled us to himself through the death of his son. So here's the takeaway. 
don't strike back, even though you may be justified in doing so. As citizens of another kingdom, don't strike back, even though you may be justified in doing so. Leave vengeance to God. Return evil with good. Even if it means going an extra mile for someone who's treating you unfairly. Give to those who ask when it's in your power to do so. For our citizenship is in heaven. Lord, I'll finish praying the way I began. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us your wisdom so that we might know in in the moment what it is that you call us to. Give us courage that we might walk in your ways. And give us an abundance of your spirit through whom all things are possible. For your glory, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.